चर्चा है हाउडी मोदी तो मेरा तो मन कहता है उसका जवाब यही है भारत में सब अच्छा है सब चंगा सी वेलकम टू द नेक्स्ट एपिसोड ऑफ भारतीय जनता पॉडकास्ट एंड इन टूडेज एपिसोड वी हैव अ स्पेशल गेस्ट द गेस्ट इज महराज महराज लोन फ्रॉम न्यूज लॉन्ड्री द फेमस पॉडकास्टर एंड द आइडिया ऑफ हैविंग महराज इन टूडेज एपिसोड वॉज टू एज यूजल टॉक अबाउट डिस्कवरिंग आवर पॉलिटिक्स बट ऑल्सो टू कवर एन एस्पेक्ट ऑफ इंडियन पॉलिटी दैट इज नॉट टॉक्ट अबाउट मच um the idea what what it means to be an indian and who better to talk about what it means to be an indian or to be able to identify as an indian than someone who's probably grown up in the most um war, i don't know maharaj how do i describe kashmir it, it's it's like it's not war torn kyunki war ke naam pe there have been only three big wars but it's definitely a human <laughs> prison <laughs> yeah, which is again bahut hi so, but welcome maharaj thank thanks thanks for having me man so how do you define kashmir sabse pehle let's like kashmir to to the global audience and even to indians like there there are problems in kashmir and kashmir is kashmir we all know but if you want to kashmir sum up kashmir has a very deep yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. no go on sorry sorry so if you want to sum up the material reality of kashmir at this point i mean the best phrase to describe it is it's the most militarized zone in the world so there are about like uh, there's a soldier for almost about 7 8 people every 7 8 people so that should give you an idea it's not it is a war zone in the sense that it's an internal conflict but nowhere in the world even when it's afghanistan it's the iraq war at the height of the war you had this much of military concentration and let's remember kashmir especially the valley is a very tiny place i mean it's only 88 square kilometers uh, 88 kilometers mm-hmm. wide so it's a very narrow strip of land and you have basically a soldier an armed soldier every 5 6 meters so living under i i, I was reading it military presence is i mean that sort of defines your entire politics that defines how you relate to that place even even for people who come from outside the person who comes like a journalist who mm-hmm. comes to kashmir for the first time this is the first thing that sort of shakes them up how how is this possible i was reading in 2009 i think in 2009 mein matlab Could, uh, I was reading in a news piece or something that at that point in Kashmir there were apparently one armed military personnel for every three people living in Kashmir. So yeah, that is how if you add up the way. if you add up the police also because the police there is also heavily militarized. I mean they'll 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 be carrying AK-47s when they're on the street. So if you add up those also, you add up the army, you add up the BSF, you add uh, add up the CRPF and the other paramilitaries. I mean, it might even be like a one is to two ratio. So, Maharaj, I'll tell you something about. Me. So, I mean, you, we, we kind of know each other, and we kind of know each other's politics, right? Yeah. So, I, 
there is one incidence about Kashmir that slowly shifted the way I looked at Kashmir because you know when you grow up in mainland India, the way they, I mean, you were seeing the way they teach you things, the 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 way basically propaganda happens. Mm. You look at Kashmir and the whole story of Kashmir very differently. But then at some point, I think during my engineering, I read about Konan Pushpara. Konan Pushpara, right. yes, yeah, yeah, and. That was the first, you can say, brick. That was like the first brick that built this whole idea of how I saw Kashmir. So, uh, when, how old were you when you first heard about Konan Pushpara? And how was it told to you? So, Konan Pushpara, I, I mean, it happened when I was like two or three years old. So, I didn't know it at that time. But growing up mm-hmm. in school, uh, I come from a family which is not, I mean, they, they have suffered this thing. They have been through it, mm-hmm. but they aren't sort of attuned to it politically. So these are just incidents. These are just tra- tragedies that happened. Konan Poshpura is just one uh, marker oh. on, a, on a road of tragedies, right? I mean, there's more immediate is Sopur. Sopur is a town which is about five kilometers, which is like my town, sort of. I live in a village farther from Sopur. Mm-hmm. But in Sopur, in 1993, there was militants fired at a BSF patrol. And in retaliation, they burnt almost half the town down. Inside, people, uh, my uh, mamaji, my uncle, my mother's uh, mm-hmm. brother, he had a friend who ran a photo studio. Like back in the days, you go to studios and you get those nice pictures taken, right? So Shaheen Studio, his name was the shop shop's name. And he that that day he was. It was January. It was very cold. He had his little child with him in that studio. And when the BSF went berserk, they went around torching all these uh, shops and firing in indiscriminately on people. So he shut himself inside his shop with his kid. And they burnt his shop down. And when when everything was done and uh, people started looking through the through the debris to for bodies and stuff, they found that father and son in an embrace. There were just the skeletons, burnt, charred skeletons in them. So those that was more immediate for us. And Kuran Poshpura is, I think it's about about uh, twenty miles from my place. So for those of your uh, audience, uh, listeners who don't know what happened, Kunan Kunan and Poshpura are two small villages in Kupwara district in North Kashmir. Uh, One night, the BSF came again. And apparently from all the testimonies that have been gathered since then, they uh, were drunk. They rounded up the Mm -hmm. men of the village, put them in in a, locked them away and went around a raping woman from little girls to aged women, at least 44 of them in one night. So that's what happened. And when I learned about it, by the time I learned about it, which was in school, there were several Konan Poshpuras by then. So you didn't just learn about Konan Poshpuras. There were these stories everywhere. Some of them had not been told because of the association of rape with shame in our culture, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a South Indian, in Asian culture generally. I mean, if there's a crime against women, you tend to keep it hidden because, I mean, they won't get married and or the, the family. The whole system of talk to. Exactly. patriarchy. Yeah. So there were so many, so, they, so many of these. So, Mehraj, when I say, I mean, Kunan Pushpara is, is something that 
kind of was the first big news that happened to me i guess or uh, hmm. i read about but when konur bushpara i think is a metaphor for life in the valley uh, through the 90s till today and yes. um, so it's always it, I, i mean I, i know you and i have a few other kashmiri friends even here in us as well right and it is always interesting to me to meet people from kashmir and to still uh, how do i describe like still fa- like have them not completely hate the 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 the, the idea of india and i know hate is a big word but how do you um, how do you explain your relationship with the the nation state the idea of the nation state of india uh, and you can talk from the the maharaj as a child to the teenager through now how do you explain how your relationship has evolved and changed over time the a thing with us is people who were no no i understand i mean yeah i mean these are difficult questions only so for people who were born in the late 80s as i was and grew up through the 90s and uh, 90s all our life our only sort of relation our only idea of india was the soldier with the gun we hadn't seen the other india that existed before that my father's generation for example they knew of a time when they would Uh, like go to sort of go to go to for example small small things go to theaters at night come back from sopur walk those 8 kilometers home there was sort of peace calm all around only thing you had to fear was maybe you you would get robbed or your a house would get burgled this wasn't this thing that you will go out of your home and there's no you have no idea if you will return that that didn't exist back then and why that didn't it's not like the military wasn't there military was there it was at the border so it was removed from your daily lives but for us it was there every single day every single moment of our waking life you go out there's an army man with a gun and you dread him why because you go out on the street for no reason they'll slap you they'll beat you up god forbid they might just even shoot you down with with impunity for no reason and it's happened over and over and over again you were talking before we started the podcast you were talking about that uh, piece i wrote for scroll so i start mm-hmm. it, it with how my first experience of physical violence was not at the hands of usually like my family or teachers or this thing it was at the uh, at the hands of an army man because i forgot to shout jai hind so this was a ritual if you saw an army man you had to shout jai hind to them if you didn't that's what happened you you got beaten up so that that is the idea of india and then you see if you come out of kashmir you meet people in india and you see these are people like you or you have like some businesses you have been coming here people come there these uh, workers like from bihar and up they come and they're as unfortunate as you are in 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 a lot of ways and then you realize your fight is not with them even when you use the word i am fighting against india it's not against india you're fighting it's that idea of that state uh, that government these people are like you the person who is sitting in par in shrinagar is not like you he is like the person who is sitting in par in delhi but this person who is coming here or the person you're going to meeting in delhi or in other places they're just like you just ordinary people and then of course there's the whole history of cultural ties the the, the traditions the language so th- that that sort of that brotherhood is still there and 
that has always existed it's not going to change any any anyway i mean the clearest example of that is in the 30 years that kashmir has been racked by violence not a single person from india other than a soldier has been harmed anywhere even at the peak of the agitation in 2008 2016 pilgrims were coming and going to amarnath there were other people nobody was ever harmed i mean there might have been some stray incidents somewhere but nothing like that ever but i mean i know you and i know that i mean you living and working here and i've read you and i've known your thoughts so i understand how you might see your relationship with india and indians um mainland india when i say india yeah but how do you explain it to someone who's who maybe was i mean and i know that you come from a difficult past as well but there are still people who who are even less privileged than you right yes and yes of course who who may face even more systemic violence the, how do you explain what you just said to me to them like why would they not hate the idea of india well, that's the thing i mean like i said for somebody who doesn't come out of kashmir to say mainland india their only link to india is that soldier so for them even if they hate india they hate that soldier they ha- hate that they hate the military they have absolutely no clue what is happening in india they don't have a reason to hate anybody as such so even when they say we hate india they hate that that part that part and they would say i love india but they haven't seen that part of india for example so it's so, it's it's basically uh, essentially a very simple matter of being removed from the whole thing and and see uh, and seeing that one uh, gunman as as, as a as representative just, uh, yes representation of yeah. yeah no and it makes complete sense how do you define your your own politics how do you define your like how did you identify get your politics if uh, you know over time and obviously um this is something that only happens to us once we grow of a certain age so at this moment what is your politics and it's 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 a complicated question i know but at this moment what is your politics and how has it changed in let's say since 2010 uh so in kashmir i mean if you are in anywhere if you are anywhere else the idea is you grow up you have the childhood and then you engage with these political ideas and you find your own path in kashmir mm-hmm. from, if you are in school you know how to read and write you don't have that luxury because you grow up with it sort of it's sort of in your blood you see this thing happening you see an army man barging in your home beating up your parents that's politics for you you see this uh, person coming to your village for votes and then going back and then sending the police to beat up your neighbors or somebody else that is your politics so you grow up with it and then you see i mean then 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 you grow up you come to an age where you sort of read up like you engage with these big political ideas what it means the ideologies and stuff and all that and you already have this thing in you mm-hmm. it's sort of like how religion works right i mean when you are growing up your parents teach you your family and friends you you pick stuff up from them you know the rituals you know this means this this means that but you don't have that idea of what is the moral center of this religion what is it telling me that you only come to when you have reached reached a certain age uh, an age some age of intelligence right of some age of thinking 
but those things are already there that material that raw material is already there so in kashmir if you are there that anti sort of imperialist idea so when you read about colonialism for example you read about imperialism you see that par- so many parallels every day in your life you are automatically an anti imperialist in in that sense and then you see these deprivations that have happened because people some people have aligned with this particular uh, say who who you would see as an oppressor and they have gain materially and people who have gone against the state against the oppressor they have been destroyed and then you suddenly are on the side of the weak person so when you you come across ideas such as say socialism communism and you see your material reality reflected there and you think okay maybe this has a solution to provide to you so you go th- through this whole churning like if you are a, you, when you are in a college i mean and then of, of course there is this huge aspect of islam in kashmir because when your entire life is so precarious you try to sort of find reassurance somewhere and in the south asian context especially in kashmir that reassurance for the larger part has come from religion because it gives you stability it gives you a sense that okay everything even if everything is goes wrong there is some sense of ultimate justice some day that you will have so you get that reassurance so sometimes you are an islamist growing up sometimes you are a communist sometimes you are a socialist and then all these things when you come out you study more you engage with people and then this sort of crystallizes in a way so if i was to describe myself right now i i, I don't know maybe maybe a socialist a democratic socialist but those are i mean very weird terms to use but i suppose that would be the case but i mean i i don't want you to <laughs> identify and define yourself but like you know aisa hota hai na ki over time you grow and for example um, i grew up in a in a very right wing family hmm. right wing in the context of india hmm. and then i left home for hmm. engineering and made my first muslim friends in my life hmm. and um, and over time seeing their experiences even within i'm talking about like mp like cowbelt yeah. where, where there is a significant still significant muslim population right but even seeing their experiences there the like i started thinking about how it it's different being a muslim in india from there you reach out and you read um leftist socialist idea but over time things have changed like when it comes to economics maybe i do not agree with the leftist ideas as much uh and 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 that and that that is something that has changed caste for example uh, let's let's quickly talk talk about this so there like and this is my belief and you can disagree with it but i believe that if you if you live in subcontinent your life sees caste in some way shape or form Very growing true. up in yeah. kashmir growing up in kashmir and it, it, and and i also have um, friends muslim friends hmm. uh, from up and mp and bihar who who talk about caste in islam as well like ashrafs and pasmanda and like the you know i mean i don't have to tell you um, like you know better than me but did you experience or now looking back do you see that there was caste uh, when you when you were growing up back home 
there is uh, there is an idea of caste in kashmir but it's not as pronounced as you see it here and the reason for that is because uh, like the when the conversion started happening to islam back in the 12th and 13th centuries so most of the people who converted were lower castes there were then obviously it was almost everyone mm-hmm. but mostly it was lower mm-hmm. castes and there was so i i hear these stories from like say like my great grandfather's time when there was this say one community who you would call uh, maybe in the comparable to sort of yadavs in india the people who rear cattle and stuff so they were there they didn't have any homesteads they didn't have any land they didn't have anything so all they survived on was they'd go take people's uh, cattle and for that they'll give them some food ready made food all right over time what happened is that instead of that cooked food they would give them grains further over time they got some land further over time they got to build their own homes also so this gradual shifting of power when they had a little bit of economic power that meant they had a little bit of social power as well right so that discrimination that existed back in the day that slowly sort of sort of started fading in my particular village for example this particular community i am talking about there now like the surname is ganai for example so mm-hmm. they are there we have carpenters there my village is called chhanpur because chhan in kashmiri is carpenters right so because gotcha. of that it's yeah so there are some like regular farming families sort of also so the carpenters usually don't have much land because they they're like they work off the skill they earn from their skill so the ganais they also have some land but they also have other they do like crafts and like the professional skills sort of like barbers and that kind of thing right so even now there are people who will say who won't marry like say in that caste for example if you are a bhat if you are a lone like i am some families they won't marry among them but that kind of discrimination that exists in mainland india that's not there anymore and that is the huge reason is because at least they have had a little bit of social and economic power that is why it's so so important to give people economic and social power that is one way of sort of overcoming this if you don't have power you are like destined to discrimination there's no way out of it we often uh, i'm i'm changing gears a little but uh, we are talking in the light of i mean coronavirus is obviously we are talking about uh, like we, we are currently going through that time but we are also talking in the times of shaheen bag right yeah and uh, uh, we see a lot of protests happening a lot of collective protests happening uh, across india where um, the one common theme is the idea of constitution of india right everybody is putting out the constitution of india yeah. reading out the preamble and all of that yes 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 when you see it how how do you absorb it and can you reflect on and and, and you know why like i'm i'm talking about uh, a mehraj who grew up in the 90s in in <laughs> kashmir yeah. how you see it and what does it mean to you and be as honest and frank as you can yeah yeah of course see that is the thing i mean why are people holding on to the constitution right now in this point when the constitution is being used to sort of like rob them of their citizenship right now why do people if you had he- heard their slogans shouting laila illa on the barricades what's the point mm-hmm. i mean that's sort of sounds defeatist sort of self defeating in a way 
because i mean as the liberals would usually tell you because this doesn't chime in with what you are asking for and this will only strengthen the hindutva core so the thing with these kinds of protests these kinds of mass movements and this applies to ideology as well is when you pare it down to the basics there is two things that it should do one give you a sense of community and two give you ma- values moral markers it's the same thing with religion also and in a sense it's the same thing with family also that is why the th- th- ideologies the the structures that have these two things usually are successful in in a way with this thing because there is this law there's this dispensation which is trying to break up this imagined community that was created in 1947 of a republic mm-hmm. desperate communities bring them together under one roof and create a national community and this law is an assault on that idea and what is the one idea of community that is still surviving in this larger whole it's the idea of a constitution that this is the this is the glue that binds us binds us all and where even that has been sort of uh damaged as in the case of like say shaheen bag when 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 the government used the police and they used the parliament and they used the courts to sort of break up that idea which rests on the constitution so they looked for another community which subconsciously was always there i mean these things are not always consciously chosen like you shouting lai lai lila is not a conscious decision always sometimes it is sometimes it isn't same with jay shiram the idea is that there in your subconscious you have that another community which is always there that present there what 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 uh, binds a muslim from say kerala and assam and up all of whom face this prospect of being robbed of their citizenship the one prospect is when they are with their allies the hindus the christians everybody that you have this this country is as much yours as it's of somebody else and that you get from the constitution but when that very idea is assaulted when that constitution is no longer a guarantee for even your citizenship you fall back on another sense of community which in this case is you are all muslims for example this slogan this yeah. la ilaha illa binds you all and this is the same thing that's happened in a way happened to hindutva so earlier when i mean uh, we usually when this, we this talk this would have been another question that i would have asked you but yeah let, let's yeah jump on <laughs> yeah so what happens is when we talk of liberalism in india we kind of sort of mix up two things india i mean this might be a controversial thing to say but india doesn't have any tradition of liberalism it has a liberal tradition which is contained within other traditions for example you had gandhi and you had nehru espousing liberal values but they weren't taking those from liberalism per se gandhi's ideas came from his own religion for example he was like a devout hindu so those liberal ideas and those ideas are contained in religion it's like now it's become a fashion like say islam is regressive hinduism is regressive maybe but they have these ideas those kernels are still there atidi devo baba for example the pursuit of yeah. justice in islam they are there and these people sort of spotlighted though that side of their religion gandhi was also like sort of a votary of caste system for a bit but that wasn't so much a part of his politics as this was same with nehru and why this happened is because 
I mean, there are exceptions, but mostly this is because these were people who had come into contact with the Anglo Anglophile world or the Western world, where they absorbed these ideas and use those ideas to sort of elevate the, the 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 values, the liberal values that already existed within their own traditions. That's what happened. And so when when those in the initial years, those worked with Nehru and Gandhi and others. Because they weren't trying to bring about radical change. Those ideas of community were already existing there. Even if it was caste, caste system, which is not a very good thing, but even that caste system had a sense of community for, for different groups of people. So when they were bringing in these liberal ideas that family structure was strong, those caste systems were strong, that idea of community was already there. So all they needed was were these liberal values, secularism, unity and diversity. It worked. But when when those structures also started sort of disappearing, started weakening the structures of family, and that happened because society sort of atomized with the with the changing economic conditions. I, I mean, this it's very fascinating. It's if you really think about it, the spurt of growth that Hindutva saw kind of parallels the liberalization of Indian economy, and that's, that's because very, those that's very true. That is because those structures, people came from their villages out of those strict castes, out of those strict social structures, family structures, and they sort of were adrift and they were promised the heaven with from the advertising holdings, from TV and everywhere. They were promised like you're going to La La Land. And then they came, confronted this, this, this reality that, that it was not going to happen in Mumbai, in Delhi, in Bangalore people who had to live in slums, people who had to, even middle-class people, for example, who, who who were promised like they'll be living in mansions and they'll have the world at their feet. That didn't transpire the way it was supposed to, it was promised to them. And they could have fallen back in times like these even. I mean, if you see right now with the coronavirus threat, people everywhere are trying to go home. They're trying to hide their histories travel histories, not get quarantined because they find safety in their social structures, in their homes. This wasn't there. Once this atomization of society happened, so these people, that the, those communities sort of broke down. So they found a new community in this, which the Hindutva system promised them, the community of Hindus, Vishal Hindus, great Hindus. Uh, you you bring out a great point about how people are breaking down the uh, social isolation and moving. When I look at it, I think that basically people just do not trust the institutions at all, and uh, beat the beat the police, judiciary, or in this case healthcare. People just feel that they will be safer if they find their own solutions, and that is why they uh, basically are running out from these quarantine areas or or self quarantining uh, i think and then i think historically in the last 70 years and and kashmir i'm setting it aside for a while i'm just talking about the mainland india because kashmir has their own set of problems but historically one of the biggest failures of the indian democracy is the fact that we were never able to have people develop faith in the institutions uh, and in the end, because we never, even today, we don't really have faith in institutions, we look at that one superhero who will come and just make everything right. And, 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 and in that void, someone like Modi comes who 
has all the marketing pr glitz and he kind of tries to show the show all these people who lack basic faith in institution that hey i am here and i can do something and that is how we create space for someone like modi you bring a fair point that uh, people cling to one identity that they find unique to them in in a, in a in a different place or in a, in a in a position where they are being pushed to the wall which is the idea of religion so when it comes to kashmir it becomes islam when it comes to a larger part of india it becomes hindutva but going back to the constitution i still think that these people that we just talked about gandhi and nehru and ambedkar all of these people were educated in the western thought process and they somehow took the for example nehru was a fabian socialist mm. and 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 they took those western ideas especially nehru and ambedkar and the constitution is reflecting a lot of those western ideas so in a way this constitution um aspires to be way more liberal than the people that this constitution is for and 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 this goes not just for like i'm not not just talking about the hindutva folks india is in any way a very deeply religious country the muslims in india the, any anyone in india everyone is deeply religious the constitution however i feel is more liberal than the people and somehow at some point there had to come out a uh, like a, a wedge between these two different things and and in the last 20 25 30 years is we've seen how it has like the division like when i look at modi i think modi is basically the the most right representation of what indian people are at this point do you not agree yeah you are absolutely right see like i said like this is another sort of an interesting thing if you exceptions of course but if you see these people freedom fighters the founding fathers of india mm-hmm. it's people who went out who had contact with the western world they were sort of more liberal than people who never went out they were reactionaries lala lajpat rai the rest of them the problem with i mean it's all it's always going to be like this if you come in contact with what you think are like better values than 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 what is already there you are trying to create a better society obviously you will try to adhere to those values but the problem with this these particular people nehru and ambedkar and the rest of them was when they got par and that was that was like the greatest thing that could have happened to them when they got par par is the one thing that you can use to sort of strengthen those values you can use that par in service of those values those liberal values they didn't do that the whole par structures they created were to preserve the status quo that is why you see even after 70 years look at the constitution of the parliament look at the constitution of the bureaucracy look at the representation of the marginalized classes in police everywhere they're not there how did that happen because these people even when they gave away some uh, some gains some sort of concessions to the marginalized classes and why i mean there's a whole history to that why that happened the way it happened but in in its essence they preserved the status quo the same people who used to rule the people under the british sovereignty sort of they became sovereigns in their own right the 
political power remained with them the cultural power remained with them the economic power remained with them the social power remained with them they didn't try to break down those systems and it's not like they, it was difficult to do in those early years it was it it would have been possible because there was a blue, blueprint in the form of the constitution and they had the moral authority that if they could have done something there might have been a backlash yes and there was a backlash in any way but they could have sort of made a lot of lot and lot of gains but they didn't do that 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 is where the problems arose and then when those ideas were not realized because these people didn't want to realize them there there was this fissure in society there was this people who benefited from that status quo and there were these people who didn't benefit from the status quo and the means of keeping that status quo was using these values as a pretext oh we are a secular country so we have to be this way we are unity and diversity we have to be that way it was fine as a value but when it didn't have the the transformative value that it promised obviously people will resent it it's like even now for example say in the in the west in us where you are oh we are a great country we have so much wealth uh we are a, we are a, what is it called the shining light on a on a hill sort of which is all great you have on the power you have the uh, wealth yeah but how, how is it reaching someone who is sleeping on the roads how is it reaching somebody who can't afford healthcare so that backlash is inevitable it happens but but why do we see that backlash so so uh, i recently did an episode with uh, the writer omar ahmed and he brought out an interesting point he said that he largely agreeing with what you are saying but he said that the fact that the people who are in power right now claim that the in the last 70 years nothing had happened is the biggest testament to the fact that something happened because ultimately the people who had no stake in the freedom of india the people who basically were a, a political fringe for the largest time in india were able to group together and gain power proves that the constitution so basically like what we are talking about right he disagree he said that the constitution did exactly what it was supposed to do and actually by having someone like modi being elected for good or for bad it it actually proves that the constitution succeeded because it ultimately had someone who just will will never agree with the constitution be the leader of the nation and of the constitution like he can amend the constitution if he wants to now and and that's the kind of the testament of the victory of the constitution uh, i i i broadly agree with what you are saying but then i look at someone like modi and then we are recording it today when all the <sighs> thali bajao <laughs> thing happened oh man you should have been here it was but madness what i but when i look at it and when i look at these videos main bas ek cheez sochta hu ki is there a threshold is there a threshold maharaj where after which people will be like ki nahi yaar ye to kuch to bhi बेवकूफी चल रही है लाइक दिस इज नॉट लाइक बिकॉज द इकोनॉमी इज नॉट डूइंग वेल वी आर क्लियरली फेसिंग डाउन बैरल ऑफ अ पैंडेमिक आई मीन एनी लाइक एट दिस पॉइंट इट्स वेरी डिफिकल्ट लाइक ग्लोबली वी आर नॉट लाइक अगेन इट्स नॉट लाइक वी वर रिस्पेक्टेड अलॉट इन द पास बट जो भी था वी आर नॉट लाइक एन इम्पॉर्टेंट वर्ल्ड प्लेयर एज वी एस्पायर टू बी एट सम पॉइंट कश्मीर 
is a mess so what if what is the threshold or is there even a threshold for people to be like resent this dispensation for example so i'll uh, i'll first answer the question about the how the constitution did what it was supposed to do that is broadly true i mean they did try to create structures they did to create institutions but my point is that they didn't like do it well enough and the examples all are all over the place they did create institutions but they created institutions that were so weak that it all it took modi was to send in a couple of people in every institution and they crumbled like house of cards how did how does that happen if you create an institution over 70 years and it's destroyed by one or two people mm-hmm. obviously there was the foundations were rotten right so that is one yeah. part about the modi the limit the thing is i mean in in a democratic culture in a democratic society the only thing that can bring down say a government modi or anybody else is public opinion right but the problem in this country mm-hmm. is when we talk about public opinion it's not the opinion of 130 crore people it's the opinion of the top 10 maybe 15% of the people who have the economic privilege the caste privilege the uh, the intellectual privilege the political privilege their opinion is what matters and modi is very clever because he always always appeals to their sense to their sense of whatever it is the political anxiety the economic anxiety their sense of what you beautifully explained in your piece about caste about this greatness of india which is just upon us and we are just going to realize it in a bit if you uh, watch his speech again which he mm-hmm. gave calling for this calling for this tamasha i, I made this point mm-hmm. elsewhere as well it wasn't an address to the nation it was an address to this specific part of the population you want clues see all over it go out mm-hmm. onto your balconies how many people in this country have balconies yeah. how go don't go to the hospital because uh, they are overwhelmed so call up your family doctor are you kidding me how many people in this country even know what a doctor is because they can't afford to go to a hospital and they have family doctors so th- this is the thing and so, he uh, yeah yeah go no i was just saying just quick, quickly uh, uh, just to add to what you're saying and and i have been thinking about this for a while and in fact um maybe at some point we should talk about it separately also because th- there is something like kuch to bhi is pe likha jana chahiye i feel so basically you're right that this man is the prime minister of the upper caste middle class of india because remember he, even in one of his past speeches he said something like there should be a room in your house which is wifi free <laughs> how many people live in multi room houses in india and 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 also another and thing, sorry, thing that sorry, surprises sorry, sorry, me sorry most is that yeah sorry to cut you off this another no, thing no, i mean he talks so much about we'll do this for the poor and the marginalized yesterday when he talked about the uh, poor and the marginalized he didn't talk to them he talked to people who employ them he told these people the same class of people don't cut the wages of your domestic servants so what does that tell you yeah exactly so he isn't bothered about them because that's what they don't have the power anyway मैं इसको ऐसे सोच रहा था एंड एंड मे बी मे बी आई एम अट इन दिस बट आई वॉज थिंकिंग ऑफ इट दिस सो फॉर दिस मैन हिज ओरिजिन स्टोरी इफ यू लुक एट इट इज दैट ही वॉज अ चाय वाला एंड अ पुअर एंड 
from a really poor family family whatever but every time that i hear him talk he sounds exactly like um how a a mid tier town middle class uncle will sound like right like yeah. you talked about balcony i talked about wifi free room uh, he it it's like he's talking to and you're right the, this group has the power yeah, in india because they own all the structural um areas of power even in a small state level government office the babu is this person and basically yeah. modi talks to that babu hmm. but uh, and, and which is a great thing because i don't think any prime minister before has has had been able to identify this demographic and maybe this is also being uh, about being in the right time because um i'm, I'm now that in the last 10 years of upa the middle class actually grew and fattened now they are even more powerful than they were ever before yes but what when will but you and i can clearly see that all the aspirations of this middle class also have not been met right i mean yes. there is like they these people are comparing themselves to us and other developed countries and we are clearly not there so kahin par jaake kya ye hone wala hai jahan pe they'll be like ki this is this is the like the threshold is beyond uh, we don't like will their support for modi ever waver is my question <laughs> i i don't see it happening anytime soon because see you talked about upa right so what was their selling point to this segment mm-hmm. of the population will make your lives better materially that was it there was nothing beyond yeah. that this guy he says yeah. i'll make their li- i'll make your lives better materially it's not happening all the evidence sh- see, shows that it's not happening the middle class know it but then he yeah. gives them something else this idea that you belong to this community which is going to be great it was great it is going to be great he's playing on this cultural vanity if i may call it put it like that on their cultural vanity and also i mean this is a like you said this is a very religious place so even if you use those religious tropes mm-hmm. for people who are religious but have little understanding of religion which is like the 90% of people in this country so yeah. you you play on, on these on these you you hit these buttons on them so fine we'll have to sacrifice and the way he says it the way the language he uses is always of sacrifice even in this speech for this thing so it was for sacrifice i am asking you to sacrifice this for me so i was uh, the other day i was uh, talking to uh, on the on our news monitor podcast i was saying the vibe i got was you remember those 80s and 90s those b grade hindi movies and they have this generic uh, like thakur sahab ka character and he is usually on this personal crusade but the whole thing is the whole village mm-hmm. sort of is part of his crusade and he goes like gaon walo tumne aaj tak meri har baat mani hai aaj mere liye aakhri ek qurbani de do exactly the same thing and when you put it in that that in that language and you have a cultural and a social social mores which revolve entirely around the idea of sacrifice in both hinduism and in both like islam as well christianity as well in fact so you have a culture yeah. steeped I in mean, this language and you are ad- using that language to promise them something which they themselves of course consider is greater than the whole wealth of the world kind of a thing so unless it really starts pinching in the sense that people are driven out of their homes which really doesn't happen in india because i mean the structures are different you are driven off out of your homes you are 
all savings just go kaput in a in a day until that it pinches that hard i don't see this happening anytime soon so uh, we were we, I, i think before the podcast you were talking about um, one other uh, journalist that that i uh, like i was comparing your your writing to asim ali right yeah yeah and uh, asim uh, wrote a piece i think back in september and i while talking to you i just uh, looked it up on on print about uh, the the path that modi is taking as prime minister is of not economic reform but social reform or at least so, he thinks it's social reform more and, like social uh, engineering basically reform basically uh, uh, what what asim um, mentions in his po- in his piece is that uh, modi aspires to not be, not become another vajpayee or an, even a nehru modi wants to be vivekanand swami vivekanand and every time that he comes up and talks it feels like he wants to do that but i just something that always has bothered me and 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 this podcast will not help i mean not get us to the answer but it just seems like he's only talking to a specific crowd as you said and and only that crowd is what he cares about so again i don't know how this will change but i even beyond modi something and i'll compare uh, it with what i see in us um, to a degree so in us there is a right wing and a left wing right wing elect um, right wing elected donald trump and there is still a significant left wing movement but there's one common thing that i see between both right and left wing is that both of them at their core distrust authority even the right wing that elected donald trump elected him on the idea of draining the swamp draining the swamp yes and e- even like you're yeah, draining the swamp and um, th- the whole the second amendment jo jiski us mein baat karte right the second yeah. amendment is all about owning the guns in case the government becomes tyrannical against you hmm. right the left is always anti establishment to uski baat so let's abhi leave it whereas in india i see there is almost this uh, the way we look at government is almost Uh, like my bab right like yeah. i was telling someone that we we are basically electing a king every hmm. time yeah. it seems like we are electing a king why as a society we are so inclined to accept authoritarianism in our lives even because again going back to us even though trump is desires to be as authoritarian as hmm, some of like like xi jinping or modi but you keep seeing from time to time either lower uh, district courts judges standing up against him like you you keep seeing examples of people standing up against him hmm. journalists like re, um, uh, you recently saw when trump came to india um, he did a press conference and uh, there were journalists who asked difficult questions journalists still asked difficult questions to him whereas in indian society it seems like the moment we accept an authority we just give up everything why is why are we like that So I think there are two reasons. One is that this, uh, like I always keep saying, this India is not a democracy. It's an experiment in democracy, and so far it's not going very well. So that democratic tradition is very recent. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> yeah. So it's very recent, and it hasn't taken root. And the other big problem is the elephant in the room, which is the caste system, which has existed for two thousand years. And the whole premise, if you look at it, is that you have authority. 
you deserve respect you deserve deference for no other reason than the than than that that you are in this position that's it and that's been so drilled into people's minds over centuries that it's very difficult to break with it nowadays so this is the same i mean even in the like like i was telling you about modi so about that vivekananda first let me just i i understand the comparison and i think there's some logic to mm-hmm. it but i'd rather say ki this is like giving people small men the doubt the benefit of doubt that they are capable of great thinking so modi i don't think is so much inspired by uh, vivekananda as he is by like watching all these b grade movies from 80s and 90s ho sakta hai uh-huh. so Anyway, so this 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 is the problem so i'll tell you this so uh, tm krishna this uh, carnatic uh, musician and he is an author also so he's written this recent book yeah uh, yeah i interviewed him about it yeah. sebastian and sons yeah. so it's about these uh, yeah. makers of mrindagam mrindagam is an instrument that you use in carnatic music and it's it the the it's made from cowhide so obviously the upper caste people the brahmans who are exclusively the players of this instrument they don't touch it they don't make it so the making of it rests with these uh, dalit christians and he profiles one family now wh- there's this anecdote about this one person master craftsman who makes madangams like nobody else and he makes it for this renowned uh, brahman madangam player big name in uh, carnatic music and this guy doesn't even pay him his wages he pays him only this as much as is enough to survive and he holds back his wages saying will i'll give it to you later when you need it and stuff why does that and this when you talk about talk to this man and he's like over the moon he says he is getting special treatment privileged treatment because this is a brahman and he was not even allowed anywhere near that basti and now he is on the inside that man's home so that in itself is a privilege for him and when you have had these ideas drilled into your heads for so long so long it sort of becomes your second nature you t- tend to believe it and it's the same thing if you think about this tali this uh, bartan bajao thing it comes from the same mm-hmm. thing it's not that for to show appreciation for all these great uh, doctors and nurses and everybody else who's putting their lives at risk to contain this pandemic how do you show appreciation not by giving them better wages not by giving them decent uh, working conditions not by making sure that they don't put their lives in risk at the first place no just pat on the back because that's how we have always done it for 2000 years so that that i think is so, partly uh, part of it and and that is why i think modi and the people are a perfect match because uh, so modi as a as chief minister of gujarat wrote this book called karmyogi ha huh, yeah um uh, and in in karmyogi and i'm sure you're aware of it but in karmyogi he says that the people who do manual scavenging uh do it because they find spirituality in yes. doing manual scavenging yes and i think there is nothing better that describes indian society Mindset, than yeah. this and when i say indian society i'm saying like the broad the upper caste hindu society that owns the structures of power and and you're right you're right that we always i mean look at the amount of, like if you go on social media look at the amount of what i call poverty porn that is out there where 
you'll see a poor young girl and a, her brother and they're eating like sukhi roti or something and there's a photo and and we under it is a caption there's nothing more beautiful than sharing this moment you know like yeah. some random yeah 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 and 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 somehow we we try and identify happiness in that but that makes me um fearful because it's it just means that we will keep expecting nothing and these empty words and and the, and, and and I don't know where it ends it doesn't i mean until like i i keep saying this again and again and again until you distribute power to to everybody you can't have a democracy and until you have a democracy all these structures of power all these injustices we talk about they're not going to go away because they're sustained by these structures so the only way to do to do away with them is to give power to people who don't have power like i was giving you this example of the caste system in kashmir for example the only way it has improved to an extent is because those people got some social and economic power and if that that is not given to people i mean like i said modi doesn't even care about them because he knows they can't do anything about him right i mean all he has to do is make them fearful of something or give them like this religious tropes or or some this cultural greatness thing or at the worst i mean because some people are so desperate you can just give them a gas cylinder and ask for their vote because that's all they expect from the state but that's if they get even that much that means they that the state is working from them which is like frightening to if you think about it for somebody who can't access their uh, monthly rations because their aadhar doesn't work and then this official comes or this party party worker comes and he makes sure that they get that ra- ration that is a huge thing for that person and that's a vast 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 section of population in this country for whom if even that happens that means the state works and for the people modi ji also yeah yeah sorry mm-hmm. sorry go on no no go go on sorry and for the people who actually understand how this society works like i already said before so they have they have these sort of they've been sidetracked into these other things they're given much more than just like those privileges that a state has to offer so in in this environment how and, and uh, again please uh, when i say liberalism or classical liberalism uh, i am talking more n- about a nehruvian liberal idea if you can mm-hmm. think of it and not the the classical liberalism yeah, yeah, yeah. um of locke and all but um in this environment because in the end anything that an opposition could do you cannot out hindu bjp you can no. never out hindu bjp you can't and it seems like that at this point people expect um that one thing um and that is why everybody was so happily uh, i mean kuch logo to josh dekh ke main hairan ho gaya yaar i mean do minute iske bare mein baat kar lete hain ha pehle ha did you see the video of that that lady who was beating thali like i was like wo apne andar se bhoot bhoot nikal rahi hai shayad uh, the lady oh on the God, road that energy the red lady on by the herself road, yeah with a with a phone in the same yeah. hand as the thali yeah so i imagine just, that i i was just waiting for her to hit that phone i think it was an iphone <laughs> <laughs> 
but in in this environment how do you see or do you even see a a, a liberal opposition finding us its space in india no, but that would like the premise would be that there is a liberal opposition in india right now there isn't nahi nahi let's let's imagine like from like your fantasy wala fantasy wala to i mean yeah i mean see i mean liberalism in india i don't think it will work if you have a liberal liberal party congress up maybe it's it's to an extent they are not really liberal parties they are yeah. like what you have in us you have the far right and you have conservatives right and then you have the liberals yeah. and the left so up and congress are more like conservatives in the us and the indian sort of communist parties all led by brahmans as usual they are the sort of liberal parties the problem like i said the starting problem is the same thing what are you offering to the people are you you are offering them values which is a great thing but are you offering them a sense of community and if you ask offering them a sense of community what community is that is your community a constitutional community if that is the case so how do you reconcile all these differences that have cropped up over the years between muslims and hindus the communalism the regionalism and the and the ethnicity ethnicism of say in the northeast and elsewhere how do you reconcile all these things what do you offer the people to bring them together because unless you bring them together there's not going to be a a challenge to modi right because he has this powerful very broad based uh, following behind him so if you have to mobilize an opposition to that you have to have as big of a coalition and what is the basis what are the conditions on which you are building those coalitions like you said they congress tried doing it with soft hindutva didn't work yeah up it worked because there was this abundance of fear and they did some work like i said because the people expect so little from the state even if you do the basic jobs of a government which is providing like the necessary basic amenities that is good enough but how long is that going to last like you are seeing with congress right now as soon as they lose power they sort of disintegrate and the exact same thing is going to happen to up the moment they lose power they they'll disintegrate because what is holding them together other than power right now nothing they don't have anything to offer other than this municipal kind of a governance which if the bjp like gets to it through their municipal corporations they can do a better job because they have the money they have the resources then up is left doing what nothing so it i mean it's a very desperate kind of a situation right now but until these questions are addressed to begin with i don't think there's an opposition in the works i so when i look at congress uh, and and congress um has been this big tent party in, in india's history uh, and there there are multiple there have been in the history multiple there, there has been a right wing faction within congress as well historically right yeah and but today when i see, like if if i am a bjp supporter i know what i am voting bjp for there is a oh. clear cut however whatever that ideology is and however we disagree with it there is a clear cut ideology that you it's there you know there are these three things 370 tha ya mandir tha ya abhi ab ucc hoga i think agla hmm. but like there's there are these clear cut things why would i vote what does uh, you vote for congress because you vote for congress because you're so anti bjp that you don't you have think a choice that in that specific yeah. place congress is the best op- op- opposition 
and and i agree that th- this is not how you will continue and 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 that is why i asked this question to you so i when i said fantasy what i meant was what will be the equivalent of a 370 or a ucc or a mandir for a, a more secular approach to opposition politics in india what could anybody offer that people would buy and i know ki ye ye question pe to kitab likhi ja sakti hai but this is just something that uh, like i i keep munching on and i honestly don't i like sometimes i think that maybe shashi tharur ka why am i am a hindu wala route is better but uh, do you have any thoughts on this so i think it's a it's a long process and you have to start by going on the ground and building coalitions coalitions between marginalized people minorities and the others you can't do that sitting in delhi and doing that why because for that to work for you sitting in delhi like the congress is right now or aap is right now they don't hit the ground and do it from delhi is because you don't have the means of communication they are completely the media for example has been completely taken over by the bjp they they just function as uh, yeah. their party mouthpieces right now so how do you b- build these coalitions first you go on the ground and you work among them the second part is what do you offer them you start with the material things there is so much devastation in this country economic devastation people don't have anything to eat even in 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 places so you start with that offer those solutions solutions to those problems then you come to the ideology that the problems these problems are happening because there is this uh, ruling regime which is more focused on these things and then when you try to build those coalitions when you have a coalition when you take power like say aap took in delhi or a regional party takes in say bihar or tamil nadu or somewhere else then you start putting in these structures which are based on your values if you are building institutions if you are building a like say a say say courts make sure the judges you appoint to those co- courts are decent judges like the bjp has done over the years right they have done their they have appointed their people all over the place so appoint decent people everywhere make sure the bureaucracy works for the people not for themselves and the powerful only so these are i mean these are usual i mean these are in a in a in a short sentence these are usual things of governance you offer plus you offer values but for all this to work you have to have a coalition and to build that you have to go to ground there was this uh, instance during the delhi election uh, where the congress had to have a rally the other day mm-hmm. uh, the next day right and the previous night it rained and they cancelled the party uh, they cancelled the road show why mm-hmm. uh, they didn't tell anybody but i'm presuming because they they're all people who were like these high end shoes and they didn't wouldn't want to go through all the kachra and all that i mean if you have that is the kind of energy you have in a party what are you going to do and the congress right now is breaking right now again like i said what are they holding on to i mean a person who's as congressy as a jyotiraditya sindhya if he's leaving what is the problem the problem is that the congress is held together right now by one and one thing alone and that's the gandhi family not because the gandhi family is like some keeper of the flame keeper of some values but their brokers are par their referees this uh, faction has this much par this faction has this much you get this you get that once that goes there will be anarchy and the party will be dead it's anyway dying i mean but that will be it will be dead so i think the only hope now is to west in these regional parties 
and hope they're strong enough to sort of mount a serious challenge to the BJP. Because BJP for, I mean, it's become fashionable now to say that BJP is a national party. But if you really look at it, the only truly national party in this country that has ever been was the Congress. BJP is still a, uh, the, 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 what do you call the cow belt, the Hindi belt party. They are in power in the northeast. That's only because they are power at the center. Once that goes, the northeast will go. Same thing in the south, except for say, be, say maybe Karnataka for a bit. They don't have power there on their own. They only have power because they are in the center and the, they have power in the center because they are so dominant in North India. So though I think, I mean, <laughs> desperate times, I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't have really a solution as such, but these are desperate times and you have in to this... try everything. When I can't a solution, solution is not in a podcast, but maybe like in a book or in a concern, like yeah. a, a deep methodological survey. But since we're talking about all this, when you look, when we look at India, there is clearly this huge income inequality in India. There are huge differences in, in caste, which translates into class in India. And yet the left is just diminishing every year by year. What exactly is failing the left? Like, why is there? And I know I, I, I don't use the word revolution lightly because revolution usually implies violence. Um, but why is there not like a social revolution in India? When India seems to me, at least the most ripe country for a leftist, like. Yeah, even. it has been so for like a hundred years. And that, that is the thing. I mean, that's the most complex question. Yeah. So I think the one, one thing is, uh, again, I mean, the lack of democratization. And when I say democratization, it, it means the, like the power hasn't gone out to the people as it should have in a democracy. And another thing is, like you rightly pointed out, class and caste in this country almost overlap. And the one big blind spot the left has had in this country is they haven't addressed caste ever. And that's a problem. Unless you address that, you won't bring down the structures that keep this exploitative society in in place. So right now you have a situation where 7% of the population has as much wealth as the rest of the 93% population, more than them in fact. And all you have to offer people when left left is there is like the same pieties as, as as the Congress used to do. They did some good work in say Bengal, they did some good work in Kerala, but other than that, what did they again have to offer people? Nothing. Because they weren't talking about democratizing power. They were talking about same in the same same uh, they were using the same phraseology, the same language that had come from Marx, that had come from Russia, that had come from China without adopting it to the Indian context. Because, like I said, because in India, since the caste and class system are together, when you don't address the elephant in the room, you can go on talking about class all you want. It's not going to happen. Because this is a country where even if you are a Dalit and you are like, you become a billionaire, you might still not be allowed in a temple. So what good is your economic power if that's so the president not there? Right. Yes. 
there have been several cases the jitaram manji the chief minister of uh, bihar for example was not allowed so that i think is is one big problem that has happened to the uh, left and the one reason for that obviously is because it's always been led by the same people who are vested in these structures the upper caste upper class people have always led it i mean bureau is full upper caste abhi abhi i think now they have a few but like even in bengal right i i'm i'm a bengali although i grew up in cowbell but it's it's always been ghosh bosh shain das gupta ray and all of these people so uh, no when it when it starts you can't uh, help it i mean that's always been the case everywhere i mean it's usually the elite that lead these movements when it starts because they have the cultural power they have the intellectual power right i mean they they were the people who could read and write and understand what was happening but then that first generation when they it came time to like produce this new generation of leadership who came from these people they were talking about they didn't do that they kept it limited within their own sort of families within their own class and caste this is the exact same thing that's happening in kashmir right now like this separatist movement you see for example this this leadership if you see beyond the like the gilanis the yasin malik below them there is no leadership which can sort of take over once these people are no longer there because they haven't created that and that falls on the leaders those people don't just i mean they come up organically but then you have to promote them you have to groom them that hasn't happened at all i mean that might be the problem that that happened exactly the same thing happened with congress also the only generations of leaders they groomed were within the gandhi family other than that it's the same old faces everywhere same old families to kafi grim baatein ho gayi kafi sara and and there there are still things uh, that i have in my list that i wanted to talk to you but ye ho jata hai ki if if you get to talk to someone uh, at the same wavelength you you we we digress we gave modi too much weight yeah. um, but it's fine hota hai kabhi kabhi aaj ke aaj ke hamare amrish puri ke bare mein baat nahi karenge to kiske bare mein baat karenge growing up in the 90s how big was bollywood in your life like did you guys uh bollywood came a bit late because when i was growing up i mean my village didn't have a television set and obviously there was no cable and stuff and everything so the i think the first television set that came to my village was bought by my dad from he came to delhi once and got it and it was that black and white thing and we used to watch like there used to be this uh, i remember saturday night or sunday there used to be a movie on dd and dd was the only channel so it wasn't until i think 98 99 when we started getting like more than one channels and the these dish and tata sky and all these things the direct to home cable didn't come until early 2000s so yeah bollywood i mean that was the and the phones internet and phones didn't come until 2004 mobile phones so the entire entertainment yeah so the entire entertainment was that tv only and that one movie at night and people used to wait i remember i was very small so i had these older cousins and they'll make these arrangements for the movie night like keep snacks and stuff and all that and it will start at 9 and we'll watch so that was the one week of full entertainment we really made a, a sort of an outing of it even our, in our own homes but yeah it was something 
I asked, I asked you about Bollywood because of you mentioning how Thakur of the old <laughs> Bollywood families. Uh, oh, because movies, that, those are the movies yeah, that used to play back back in the day on TV. I mean, like DD पे वही चलता था तब उस जमाने में. And even after that, आखरी uh, yeah yeah sorry go on. No 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 uh, go on I just uh, you go on first. So after that, even when like we went to because I mean we weren't so sort of. Conversant in English and all that, so we didn't hadn't discovered Hollywood in that way. Even when I went to university, for example, because I wanted to learn the language, really understand it, so I would sometimes in the common room turn to the like a English movie channel somewhere, and there used to be this huge hangama. Oh man, what have you got? What have you done? We want to watch a Hindi movie and stuff and all that, and the same kind of movies, yeah. So I had. Uh... discussing kashmir with so there is a huge trust deficit as manmohan singh put it there is a huge trust deficit between kashmiris and what we call the mainland indians and n- now more than ever especially after matlab <laughs> it goes without saying after 370 and everything there is there is this enormous trust deficit do you s- uh, and I, i almost feel like bad almost even asking this question do you see that there could be a way in future to fill this trust deficit um again like to be like normal again is there a way out of here i think uh, the phrase trust deficit is a bureaucratic substitute for saying there's lack of justice there's lack of freedom yeah so that is the problem so basic problem in kashmir is lack of justice unless you address that you can give people economic incentives you can make kashmir into the next switzerland or whatever it's not going to go away let's remember kashmir is one place in india which if you compare the socio economic indicators they are much much better than most indian states i mean in kashmir right now there will be hardly be somebody will go to bed hungry there'll hardly be somebody who won't have a roof over his head however like not a mansion but even even a hut they'll have that so it's not usually it's portrayed as this economic problem and this problem of a political misunderstanding it's not that simple thing is there has been so much atrocity over the years and none of like you talked about kunan pushpara it's what 27 28 years nobody has been punished i mean the case hasn't gone anywhere let alone anybody been punished and all institutions of the state have been complicit in making it so even the media i mean uh, when it really blew up it it was all over the news so the one thing the indian state did is to sort of put the lid on the whole thing they sent bg vargis who was a veteran journalist of his time late bg vargis yeah. we sent him there obviously he flew in an army helicopter he was hosted by the army and then he went there came back and said nothing ever happened and the court system has been used in a similar way there have been fake encounters staged encounters nobody has ever been punished people have been killed in broad daylight with hundreds of witnesses present nobody has ever been punished and this whole thing goes back to obviously 1947 if you don't address that that instrument of accession it laid down some conditions it was a contract if you don't honor that contract you can do whatever you want it's not going to get better 
mean, it's as simple as that. Unless you address those root problems, I mean, it's become a sort of a cliche to say that root cause, as we call it in Kashmir. Unless you address that, you can do all everything you want, but it's not going to happen. So that is the first thing. And how how do you do that? Make sure the people are punished for the crimes they have committed. Make sure the promises that were made in 1947 and afterwards are kept, and then reach out to people and help them help them in like their daily lives. Right now, when there is a pandemic on, when people are staying indoors and they have no way of reaching out to the world other than internet, they still haven't restored 4G internet in Kashmir. I mean, how much more cruel can it get? So, <laughs> with I mean, uh, I I I know I mean, I, and and Kashmir could be one segment of the discussion completely, but I, I just wanted to mention when you were saying that I I don't think even one commissioned of officer from the CRPF or any of the other army branches has ever been court-martialed for Kashmir, right? They tried to, for the Patribal uh, fake encounter, which was because it became an international news and everything. So they tried to doing, tried doing that. They court-martialed them, but they went to the uh, Armed Forces Tribunal and they let them go. The case is still going on, but for now, I mean, you can be sure that nobody is ever going to be punished. Ever. That's like a guarantee. Did you read did you read about the ketchup kernel story that happened a few years ago? I think 2006 or 2005 around that time, where uh, to get an award, a colonel in, from the army staged photographs of killing terrorists and put basically made them lie down and put ketchup on them and didn't kill them. And then that, uh, I don't know if you've read about it. It's, it's funny because that guy was then removed from the forces. And I was like, one guy who decided not to kill extrajudicially uh, is the guy who's removed from the forces. I have missed that is... story. But yeah, I mean, that tells that's a metaphor for I how Kashmir is, right? Yeah. I have my own... uh, Right now, yeah, I have been sort of doing light reading. So the book I'm reading right now, it's called The 50 Greatest Short Stories. So I just picked it up from okay. somewhere. And it has like these uh, big, big authors from before and now. And it's very nice. So I'm sort of finding it very interesting in these times. So it's edited by uh, Milton Crane. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice one. It's a, it has nice selections from Conrad, Henry James, James Joyce, Hemingway. So a lot of good stuff. You were saying something when I was talking about Ketchup Colonel. You said you have your own personal. You were saying something. I think I've written about it also from my own village. I mean, from my sort of next village where my uh, mother's family is and I sort of grew up there. I grew up with these four boys. Uh, I I grew up playing cricket with them. Yeah, I've read news on Rimilika. Yeah, and I mean, they vanished and they they were never found. Most likely they ended up in a mass grave somewhere. And nobody even bothers. Their, Their families... One guy's father is dead. The other guy's mother is, uh, I mean, she's a mental wreck. But nobody bothers. It's not like that they didn't go anywhere. They went all over the place to every official that exists, every code that exists. Nothing. It's as if, like, nothing ever happened. I remember uh, 
so one of i talked about konar pushpara when we started right so arundhati roy has this book of political essays called listening to the grasshoppers yes and in that book there is one essay about afzal guru and his life must be made extinct yeah that essay was i still recommend it to anyone who i feel has still some like agar koi sunna chahta hai to main unko bolta hu ki aap wo essay ja ke padhe especially if you um, have watched this whole gogoi thing and everything Hmm. How the exactly he has been compromised. It, it goes back to our talk about institutions. Yeah, ये हाल institutions की. That's true. Sometimes I think uh, um, in US I don't know if you know, but in US the Supreme Court justices are appointed for lifetime. Yeah. So you are a justice till you die, or you choose to retire. Hmm. So I don't know, but maybe that. and again this is a whole different discussion but maybe doing that instead of having a retirement age could um make it make the institution more independent i don't know yaar i mean i don't but, really have i know but then again i mean that also ends up having uh, justices like anjan scalia and all the other nutters on the supreme court right there is yeah i mean, I mean even now like you have brett kavana and all yeah. like and, and of course i mean There is no hundred percent guarantee system, but uh, so I think the guarantee. But yeah, no. I was just saying that in the end, even if even if there is Brett Kavanaugh or someone like that, you can like when a case comes to him, and again he will ninety nine percent of the time vouch for the conservative side. But uh, at least there is nothing for him to gain from. Trump or any president, um, hmm. uh, you know, like they, like like Gogoi ke case mein lagta hai ki unko honey, malab, that, that man has been honey trapped basically. <laughs> I mean, and again, this is I I I shouldn't be saying this because this is the whole. But I think that is what has happened because this is Modi like, and again, ये तो discussion दूसरी तरफ चल जाए. But Modi के past को अगर आप देख लो उठा के any there's a history there complication that he's had. has had something like that like uh that that sanjay joshi what what was his name in, do, the other pracharak in gujarat a sex cd came out yeah yeah a sex cd came out for yeah yeah joshi only harin pandya uh, said something yes done like so he has a style especially uh, there is like i i remember an akar patel piece and i don't have it in front of me but in that pc mentioned at least three cases where uh something written, uh, like a modi opponent had something of like a sexual nature come out in public basically so i think uh, more than the this i mean being uh, these guys being incentivized what i think is a bigger problem with judiciary and this applies to other institutions as well is nepotism is become such a such a huge problem every judge who is on the supreme court right now is related to some former judge some former big shot lawyer or or somebody i mean this is like in politics you have you have these dynasties you have the similar thing with uh, mm-hmm. the the court now i mean in a country of 130 billion people if these are the only people you find for the supreme court it's going to be a huge problem and what happens is when you keep it that way i mean we see it all the time with political dynasties people who don't deserve to be anywhere near those positions get appointed there 
incompetent people people who i mean you should read this uh, i will recommend to, it to your listeners caravan did a beautiful profile of this guy ranjan gogoi only uh, last month so it explains what kind of a judge he has been throughout his career not in the supreme court and it tells you these are very small men they aren't capable of where they are they don't deserve those positions so that that is a problem and how do you i mean first you have to fix that system then and i, I that, mean I, and that system stands on the sorry go on yeah i mean there's this uh, beautiful this arabic phrase it's called kahtur rijal that is what mm-hmm. india is suffering from now kahtur rijal is a famine of men that is what india has right now a famine of men good men of integrity of not in the sense that there aren't such men it's that they're not let anywhere near the positions of power or they never come in into the spotlight because they come from these backgrounds where nobody cares about them marginalized people dalits muslims upper uh, these uh, obcs women so it's i mean it's really a shit show i can't tell you how <laughs> definitely <laughs> even for nepotism right matlab i cannot look at nepotism in a vacuum like look at bollywood and and it all all of it is kahin na kahin go back to caste like mochi ka beta mochi banta tha aur hmm. you know nai ka beta nai banta tha and 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 i think in the end we honestly believe in fact one of the podcasts that comes out of news laundry awful and awesome usme <laughs> rajshri once said and i i thought i'd write a letter about it but har choti baat pe ab letter likhoge kya but she said that saif ali khan has dna acting dna in him and i'm like that as long as you keep thinking like that caste it's all caste it's, it's all caste yes 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 of course it works everywhere everywhere with that sad note i will uh, end this podcast um because we are living in the times of coronavirus there is this ghalib nazm maraj i want you to listen as well and not to all our listeners as well so ghalib says ki rahiye baisi jagah chalkar jahan koi na ho hum sukhan koi na ho aur hum zabaan koi na ho be daro deewar sa ek ghar banaya jaye koi hum saaya na ho aur koi pasba na ho pasba na ho to i'm i mean we actually need that yeah uh-huh. we need a place where there's no pasba especially the the one we have right now chaliye isi joke pe khatam karte hain and uh, it's a wrap